The title of this message is Ascending Worship. Ascending Worship. David is writing and he says, verse 1, O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and who works righteousness and speaks truth in, in his heart. Verse 3, he does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Lord, help us as we study. As David is writing, he's writing, I believe, part of his passion. I think he, in this psalm, is writing from experience as well. That he's, he's saying, I desire to be in the presence of God more than anything else. A couple of times in the Psalms he talks about coming up to the mountain of God or to his holy hill and he says he who has clean hands and a pure heart will be able to not only just visit but live. He says I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. He would rather be an usher letting other people come in and just feeling the presence, sensing the wafting of God's glory. He'd rather do that than to be other places. He desired the presence of God more than anything else. And here's a man who then gives a prescription about how we can make it our abode, not just our vacation spot. Not some place we visit, but some place we live. We can actually change our dress and make the house of God our home. Now, please do not interpret this literally. I do not want to see one U-Haul driving up to our church saying, Pastor, I'm moving in. <laughs> but I do want you to move in in heart. I want you to make 4600 Brookfield that this is called to be the place where you are to be. I want you to make it your home. I want you to to go from saying their church, that church, to my church. You ought to do that. And if we are not your people, you ought to find a people for which you can make that your statement. They are my people. Because when you find your people, you will find your purpose. God is not into just fulfilling your calling absent of anybody else. He wants to tie it in so that he can get the most from your life. Individually, you can be great, but you will never be as great as you could be tied to other people because we can always do more together than we ever can do individually. That idea of synergy, that you can get more from the sum of the whole, some of the parts than there is in the individual members. It's important for us to love God's house. And David said... I love it a lot. I'm trying to figure out how in the world I can get other people there with me. Let me give you a prescription. Who may, who may come to the, the hill of the Lord? Who may abide in his holy presence on his holy hill? He who walks with integrity. He who works righteousness. And he who speaks truth in his heart. So our walk, our works, and our words. They will define where your address is. First of all, our walk. He said we need to walk with integrity. Oh, we want to be a people of integrity. I surely am not the greatest example of it, but I'm trying to be honest, sincere, holy. 
every day trying to figure out how to untie the knots in my life that would prohibit me from being free enough to worship God the way I should trying to figure out how I can get my brain in line with the thoughts of God my heart in line with his desires my actions in line with his will that's should, that should be our desire that is my desire on a regular basis I want to make sure I'm living in integrity integrity demands that we live highest and best with the highest standards and practicing best practices if we want to ascend and there has to be an ascent David says who may dwell on your holy hill in Jerusalem they, 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 they had a hill within the hills that made up Jerusalem. Jerusalem was built on relative mountains. And then the, the highest hill in the city was Mount Zion. And that's where the tabernacle was when David was around. And then the place upon which Solomon built the temple. And so you had to ascend into the presence of the Lord. And we always, every one of us, need to have a passion that says, I am not satisfied where I am. I need to go higher. And, I, and, and he says how you walk is important to getting there and so you need to go in the right direction and you need to take the right steps you need to be moving in the right direction and you need to take the right steps the right direction is that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life and you are in this thing you love his church you want to be a part of his congregation you want to do his will in the earth you've already decided this is the path you're going to take but then making sure that you take the right steps in that and not just defining Jesus positionally as your Lord but functionally as your Lord that you are going to obey him on a regular basis you're gonna get in this Bible and read and you're gonna figure out what his will is for your life you're gonna be around wherever the word is being preached within the context of your membership and you're gonna figure out how in the world to do it and you're gonna join with other people so you can have a greater impact in the world you're gonna make Jesus the Lord master ruler controller of your life in all of your steps 1 John 2.6 says it like this, He who says he believes in Jesus must walk just as he did. It's not enough to be in the right way, going in the right direction. We need to walk in his very steps. It's important to do that. And there was a guy named Enoch that did it. Amazing fella. This is Old Testament. This is Genesis. This is way back before Moses and Abraham. A guy named Enoch. Genesis 5. In the list of genealogies, as people were being born and folks were dying, it says an Enoch was born to a fella, and then he had sons, meaning Enoch, and then he lived 365 years, and he was no more, for God took him. Now, most of us just keep on reading because we want to make sure we're reading the Bible, and we don't want to stop on a passage when we haven't finished a chapter yet. But you cannot, if you're just an inquirer, not trying to be religious, if you're just an inquirer, and you sit there and you read that and you think, he walked with God 365 years and God took him you have to say where where, where did God take him because it says and he was no more now everyone should have the aspiration to want to walk with God like that I'm not trying to walk with him that results in a way where I get taken tomorrow because my kids wouldn't be happy my wife wouldn't be happy and I think y'all would not be happy thank you very much see you were a little slow on the uptake I gave you an opportunity some of y'all just sat there and said nothing I don't but I'm not trying to hop up out of here I got a lot of stuff to do I got many more years to be productive and do something great for God but I do not want to stay where I am 
Enoch walked with God in such a way that he was taken to another level. I want to go to another level in God. Doesn't matter where you are, you need to walk with him in such a way that you are not left where you are. That he takes you to another spot. Doesn't leave you there and brings you to another level of maturity, another level of productivity, another level of ministry, another level of love, mercy, kindness, and grace. That's what you ought to desire. And in order to get that way, you have to walk this way. You have to walk with him. God liked, listen, there are a bunch of folk on the planet he could like. But he liked Enoch so much, he said, I can't leave you here, you my friend. I'm going to have to get you so close. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Everybody else, you're just going to have to miss them. I need them. Now, that, that, that hadn't happened to anybody else. In all the scripture, yeah, maybe Elijah and the chariot came down and picked him up. We don't know whether he flesh was burned up and missed the chariot. I don't know. But he sure didn't die the natural way. But Enoch, it was just like he was doing his devotions. And one day said, boy, you're so special. Come on. We need to walk with God that he allows us to ascend in such a way that he allows us to ascend to another level on a regular basis. And that means you are pressing. You are pressing. You are not taking your Christianity for granted. You aren't just resting on the laurels of God's blessings, enjoying the fact that he is abundantly provided for you or in whatever terms you would like to present it, abide it, uh, uh, provided for you in wonderful ways. But you're trying to figure out, Lord, what can I do to bring a smile to your face tomorrow? How can I increase? How can I be better? Walk with him like that. Secondly, we need to work. We need to work. We need to work righteousness. And there are two kinds of righteousness in the Bible. There's a righteousness that none of us can attain on our own and must be given. And then there's the righteousness which we can only do, doing right things. The righteousness which we cannot attain is that which God gives us in order for us to be declared righteous and gain entrance into his presence. Only perfection may dwell in his presence. Jesus was the only one after death who was able to go directly to the Father because he had committed no sin worthy of death. Therefore, he did not deserve to die. He lived forevermore and was able to ascend directly to the Father. Everybody else didn't get that privilege. Had to have their sin forgiven. When we understand what it means to have our sin atoned for, meaning that Jesus paid the price for our sin, the price was death. He did not want us to die. So he came and died for us knowing that he didn't need to die because he had never sinned. Therefore, he was the only one who could actually pay the price for our sin through death because he didn't suffer any sin on his own. Therefore, he was not worthy of death. He took our death, which made us innocent. Innocent is good, but not yet righteous. He then said, I'm not only going to take your death, take your punishment, I'm going to impart to you my rightness. I'm going to impart to you my ability to live right. I'm going to impart to you the fact that I lived in such a way as the Father and I had unbroken fellowship. So we see that, that recipe of exchange articulated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul says, he died. He died as, as, as a result of our sin. And he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as, as it says, then we now can stand before God 
completely righteous, not because we've done anything in and of ourselves, but because he did it all. That's what allows us to get into glory, that wonderful great exchange, our death for his life. It's beautiful. But after that, now that you are righteous, you got to do right. you got to do right. And you got to serve people. you got to love people. you got to sacrifice yourself. you got to give inordinately, supernaturally, not only your finances but your life. You got to give stuff away. You have to obey them. You have to do stuff on the planet. Do the right thing. You got to serve the community. We have adopted Yorkshire Elementary over in Manassas. And we've given tens of thousands of dollars in order to provide food at at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Clothes when they don't have anything in the wintertime. Coats, gloves, shoes, shoes. We have tens of uh, thousands of hours of people over there going to volunteer in order to do, do tutoring. And we lead these people to Jesus They are begging for us on a regular basis. Do you know when need gets so great, nobody cares about separation of anything? When folks are in need, nobody say, wait a minute, separation of church and state. When their belly's hungry, they don't care who's got the food. And God is about to bring a time when nobody cares anymore, but we have to be ready for the moment and competent to meet the need. Those things are important. We need to provide homes for the homeless and clothes for the naked and and, and food for the hungry. That is necessary. But I want us to take another step up. I know it's good to do all that stuff, but I'm not asking you to do more of that, although more would be good. What I'm referring to is that we need to take a step up with respect to believing for the supernatural, not just the natural. Let's work differently. Let's include some stuff in our practical service. Why not believe God for miracles as we go? We're a supernatural people. We we believe in the supernatural. The early church lived. Their standard operating procedure was to use the supernatural, as evidenced by Stephen. Stephen was a deacon in the church. A need arose in the church whereby a whole bunch of widows, Hellenistic widows, who had come to the feasts of tabernacles and gotten born again. Now, Hellenistic Jewish widows were those Jewish widows that were not didn't make Judea or the region of Judah where Jerusalem was their home. They lived in the Greek world. But they needed to come to the feast on a regular basis in order to participate in the spiritual activities that were important to Israel's identity. And when they came, they got saved. Well, the last thing they wanted to do is to go back where they didn't have any fellowship because that was the only church on the planet. So they stayed. There was a system whereby the Jewish widows were already provided for in Jerusalem. So whether you became a Christian or not, you still got provided for by the Jewish system. Well, these Hellenistic widows were not on the rolls. And everybody considered anybody from the Hellenistic world in the Jewish tradition to be just kind of a second-class Jewish person because they didn't consider it important enough to live close enough to Jerusalem. So they couldn't be provided for. Well, these Hellenistic widows were crying out saying, wait a minute, we're widows, we're Jews, we're Christians, we need some." came to the apostles. The apostles said, we can't, this is a problem, but we really need to give ourselves to the word of God in prayer. So we want you all to appoint congregation, some people who can handle this thing, and we'll lay hands on them and send them out. So they did. A guy named Stephen was one of the deacons. His job every day was just to take dear, wonderful, beautiful Christian widows, two-piece meals. Popeyes. He was a Papa John's delivery fellow. That's all he was. 
showed up, ding dong, let me give you your pizza. And all of a sudden, when they answered the door, he saw somebody in a wheelchair. He thought, boy, they need more than food. Can I pray for you? I imagine the dude looked at him and said, well, you want a bigger tip? And you ain't going to get a bigger tip. No, 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 I just want to pray. Pray for him. He got up out of the wheelchair. All of a sudden, he said, man, this is amazing. He did so much stuff that everybody confused him as being one of the apostles. And this was the Papa John delivery boy. That's all he was. This wasn't his job. He just recognized people need more than word. Word is good. But Paul said, I did not come to you in word only, but demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now you say, Pastor, isn't there like a big jump from just being a normal Christian like me to doing supernatural stuff? I mean, gosh, I've never seen a miracle in my life. I don't know how in the world I'd even start. Jesus said this in Mark 16. He who believes, everybody say believe. Believe. How many believers we got in the room? He who believes, these signs will accompany. These signs will follow them. They will lay hands on the sick and see him recover. They They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will drink some deadly poison and it won't even hurt them if they have to drink it. They'll tread upon serpents and scorpions and nothing of the power of the enemy will have ascendancy over them. Jesus goes straight from belief to supernatural. It's not, a, it's not a big jump. We're not talking about he who believes dot, 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 comma, 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 dash, 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 dash. He who believes, next, next phrase, these signs will accompany. We're not talking about 16 years between belief and signs. If you believe, it can happen. Why? Because there is no greater miracle than the born-again experience. Jesus changed your heart. If there is anything hard for God, and there is not, the hardest thing would be to change your heart. That's the greatest miracle in the world. And then on top of that, you, you ought to think, now this isn't just a philosophy. You actually believe that your heart of stone has been changed to a heart of flesh. You actually believe that you are a new creation in Christ. And although you look in the mirror and see the same face, you are not the same person. Thank you. I'm, I'm not going to prompt you no more. I'm just going to wait. At some point, you'll get it. I need to say amen there, don't I? A- amen? That's a good spot to say it, isn't it? Yeah, that's what he's waiting for. Amen. You are a new creation in Christ. You actually believe you aren't the same person that you died. And your life is now hidden with God in Christ Jesus. You actually believe that. Not only do you believe that, but you believe that somebody's living on the inside of you. Every psychologist would say you have multiple personality disorders. But you actually believe it and you're not weirder, you're better. Because the person who's living inside of you is better. You actually believe that. That's all supernatural stuff. That's miraculous stuff. That's why Jesus can go from he who believes, science will accompany Those are the kind of works we need to work. We need to work those things. Not just the natural stuff, although that's important. Let's keep doing it. But let's move to another level. Let's work supernatural stuff. And and, and, and not only do we need to work his works, we need to find out his ways. His ways are, 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 are the things that allow the mature to not always have to ask anymore. What you want me to do now? 
Have you ever supervised something? And you got some employees, you got some servants, you know, they, they, and, and, and you told them what to do. But every five minutes they're coming back saying, what do you want me to do now? I've done that. Okay, how do you do this? How do you, you think, you just need to figure it out. You just need to figure it out. Sometimes we just need to figure it out. Moses had been in Egypt for a little while. We think it was somewhere between six and nine months. God told him, touch the water. Water turned to blood. God told him, hit your, hit your staff to the ground. The dust became gnats. God told him, tell the sun not to shine for three days. It didn't shine. He told him everything to do. And then when they, they, they exited and, and they came to the Red Sea, everybody was happy thinking we are about to move into our destiny. This has been amazing. And all of a sudden they see off in the distance this dust just beginning to stir up on the, on, in the desert. And, and they look off and what, 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 that's just Egypt. That's Egypt. They're coming after us. Woo! Moses! And they began to not only cry out to Moses, get mad at Moses because they looked at where they were. Red Sea behind them, hills on either side, Egypt there. And they're sitting there thinking, what kind of leader doesn't anticipate that our enemy is going to chase us? And why would he encamp here? This is a stupid place to camp. We are stuck. They're going to kill us. We're going to appoint a new leader. Moses, you're terrible. You're horrible. You're the worst we've ever seen. We're going back. We're going to surrender. Say, take us back. And at least we'll have some good onion soup back in Egypt. That's what they said. That's what they said. You brought us out here to kill us. You're horrible. To which Moses said in, in Exodus 14, he said, why don't you all just be silent and see the salvation of God? Now, that's a nice religious way of saying, shut up. <laughs> Y'all need to shut up. Because he was mad. He didn't know what to do. He had no idea. Now, Exodus 14, 14 and 15. Said, Moses says, stand and see the salvation of God. Be quiet. And then the next verse says this. And the Lord said to him, why are you crying out to me? Now, we don't know what happened between 14 and 15. Moses told the people to shut up, and then God told him to shut up. <laughs> but we don't have what he said. Now, Moses is fairly transparent. Remember, he's writing this. He's writing Exodus. So he was transparent about when God wanted to kill him because he wouldn't circumcise his sons as they were going to Egypt to deliver the people. You know, he wasn't shy about sharing his flaws. And he even shared the part about when he was supposed to speak to the rock rather than hit the rock. And because he didn't speak to the rock and he hit it instead, he was disqualified from going into the land of, of promise. He, he shared that. He was open about his flaws. He didn't have to share that, but he did. But he must have said something to God that was so egregious. Hey, I ain't going to put that in there. God ain't going to use No, no, I can't put that in the Bible. <laughs> I can't have that down there. We don't know what he said, but God said, stop talking to me. Stop talking to me. Do something. Stop talking to me and do something. Now, what he did was open the Red Sea, lifted up the staff, Red Sea parted. They went through on dry ground. The Israelites came out on the other side. As soon as the Egyptians tried to follow them in, the Red Sea covered them over, killed them all, and they were delivered forever from the bondage of their slavery. It was beautiful. But later on, the Israelites are at, the, at, at Mount Horeb and, and Moses is getting all the Ten Commandments and he comes down and they're messing up and he got to take care of business. And then he goes back up the mountain and says, sorry, God, they messed up. And the Lord says, okay, we're going to start all over and, and we're going to begin to sing again. And, and Moses is talking to him and Moses says this, Lord, in, in chapter 33, you have shown me great favor, great favor. And I'm, I'm grateful, but, but I need something else now. I need to know your ways. 
I need to know your ways so that I can have more favor because I can't live like this anymore. And I think what he was doing, if not referencing this one circumstance at the Red Sea, maybe others. See, when he was in Egypt, God just told him everything to do. Touch the water, touch the ground, tell the sun. At the Red Sea, he didn't tell him. And then rebuked him when, he, when Moses asked whatever he asked. Corrected him. Said, why are you crying out to me? Do something. Which made Moses say, oh, I'm not, I'm not just somebody you need to tell what to do. You want me to figure stuff out. Like, I was supposed to know that the Red Sea was supposed to part for us? Not... Please don't consider me impertinent here, but that had never like happened before. Never had a sea opened up for two million people so they could walk through on dry ground. And never had it been closed up to, to, to kill their enemies. Like I was supposed to know that? You corrected me because I didn't know that. That was the only option. And I was, how was I supposed to? I need to know your ways. I need to know your ways because I don't feel like waiting around trying to tell, have you tell me everything to do. Now, when you're, when you're a, 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 an immature baby Christian, when you're just growing up, you need to be told what to do because you don't even know what his will is. But when you grow up, it's no longer, God, what do you want me to do? It's now capturing his heart so that you know what yes. to do. Yes. We are a people who need to get there. Where we know his ways so that we aren't, aren't always having to ask, what do we do now? What do we do now? We have his heart. And David said, these are the folks who get to abide with God. They know him. They work with him. They don't work against him. They work with him. Lastly, he says the people who get to abide with God are those who use really good words. He says, number one, they speak truth in their heart. Truth ought to be your best friend. Truth ought to be your best friend. Even when you know it would be easier to lie to cover your behind, you tell the truth because you would rather identify with Jesus and save your own life. You know it's going to be more difficult for you. You identify with Jesus and die. Take your whooping because you know it would be better to agree with him and to suffer than to save your own life. It's important that we love truth. Speaks truth in his heart, not just with his, his, his mouth, but down here. He has truth abiding. Doesn't slander his neighbor. How you speak about your friend is really important. How you speak about your acquaintance is really important. Never speaking ill of them to anybody else. Making sure that you're always believing the best about them. Also says, does no evil to his neighbor. And I've incorporated that under words because God really looks at our deeds and our words as being those that need to agree. If you don't slander your neighbor, you shouldn't do anything to him either. And then lastly, he says, doesn't take up a reproach. That doesn't deal with the words that come out of your mouth. It deals with the words that come out of somebody else's mouth. You do not take up a reproach against your neighbor. You don't listen to people who gossip. Nor do you participate. Unfortunately, our society is based on it now. The media has gotten so large and so invasive that gossiping 
It's the order of the day. You're supposed to know private details of everybody's life. Twitter, YouTube. You can text information in a hurry around the world. Christians ought to be different in that we protect one another. And we are not quick. We, we aren't people that are quick to want to go out and share juicy bits because we love the person who we're talking about. And even if we don't know them, we love them. Even if they are our enemy, Jesus said, love your enemy, we love them. And we are not going to tear them apart with the words of our mouth. And we are not going to listen to it. People want to inform me about certain folk. I say, you know, why don't you go to them? Why don't you go to them? You got something to say, you can go to them. Well, pastor, I just want you to know, what is it going to do? I can't help, I can't hurt. I, I, I don't know them. Don't share with me, please. I don't need to know that. And my job is to believe the best until the worst is proven true. Believe the best. Let me, let me tell you what happens when you take up a reproach against your friend. Somebody tells you something about somebody you, you know or somebody you're an acquaintance with. And then all of a sudden, the next time you see him, how are you looking at him? Before you had the information, what up? You my dog, what's happening? Now you got the information, up. So, how you doing? Not near as affectionate. Because now you have something that's rolling around in the recesses of your mind that's messing up your loyalty and affection. You can't do that. And hear me, God says there, there, there are a few things he hates, but one of them is a man who divides brethren, separates close friends. Proverbs 6 says he hates it. You better be careful with the words of your mouth. You better be careful with the words that you hear. These, these are the people who get to dwell with God. We defend one another. We help one another by speaking truth. But we defend one another and we are loyal to one another. We love one another. We don't cover up each other's sin. We don't act like it doesn't exist and just push it under the carpet. We speak to one another in truth, but we do not malign one another. And we do not tear apart one another and push down one another in order to make our, ourselves feel more elevated. We love building up one another. These are the folks that have the privilege of a change of address and ascending in their worship to the presence of God and maintaining their place there. Let's pray.